Welcome to Book Notes, the Ohio Channel's conversation show featuring Ohio authors and books about Ohio. Shaker Heights native Sless Ng's first novel, Everything I Never Told You, is an acute portrait of a Chinese-American family in the 1970s. It has garnered numerous accolades, appearing on the best of 2014 lists in the New York Times, BuzzFeed, Huffington Post, NPR, and Booklist. Her book has also been named the number one book of the year by Amazon.com. Celesting, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So the book, it took a long time to write. What was the impetus of it? Um, whenever I'm writing, ideas sort of form in my head and sort of stick to each other. And then I feel like my job as the writer is to figure out why my brain put those two things together. And so the real-life origins of the story are, are very small seeds. My husband happened to tell me a story in passing about a school friend of his. And when they were about eight, this friend pushed his own little sister into a lake. And maybe this stuck with me because I'm a really bad swimmer. But I kept thinking, well, what was it like for that little sister who was about five to have her brother push her into the water? And what was their relationship like before? Why did he do that? And then what was the relationship going to be like after? And as I started to sort of work through the story and think about the characters, the story changed, obviously. The girl in my novel is 15 and not five. But that image of the girl falling into the water was sort of one of the first seeds of the book. So this was your first novel? Yes. <laughs> and it took, it took a number of years put together? Yes, it took about six years from beginning to end, um, which sounds like a long time, and, and I guess is a long time. But I, um, I, you know, I wasn't working on this exclusively during that time. I was doing what a lot of writers do and working odd jobs, trying to pay the bills. I was writing short stories. In the meantime, I had a son partway through writing the book. Um, but it was definitely a long process in which the book evolved. What was the biggest struggle? Because I noticed that it's uh, it's an omniscient novel, novel. Yes. And then the time kind of gets switched around. I was thinking about uh, the struggle that um, F. Scott Fitzgerald had with uh, Tinder is the Night. How yes. he that second and third chapter, he wasn't sure how. Wasn't sure where to go. Yeah. Those were exactly the biggest problems of the book. Um, the story itself stayed almost exactly the same throughout the whole throughout the whole process, um, from first draft to fourth draft, which turned out to be the last. And the problem that I had was trying to figure out how to tell the story, how to structure the book, what voice I should be using. When the book started off, there were multiple close third-person narratives. So we would have one section from the mother, and then we would have another section from the father, and then we'd have another section from the brother, and then we'd have another section from the little sister. And the problem was that as we were jumping from head to head, the book lost a lot of momentum. And one of the things that the book is really concerned with, I think, is how different people can hear the exact same conversation and hear it in totally different ways. And in the previous versions of the book, what would happen is we'd hear the version from the mother, and then we'd have to watch the same argument again from the father's point of view. So the reader was seeing everything twice. And I realized that I needed an omniscient narrator, and I needed to sort of change the structure so that we could see everything happening from everyone's point of view at the same time. That was really what took the longest. I would call this book one of those beggy eye books because you <laughs> kind of pick it up and you don't want to put it down so you read a little bit later. I do all my reading in the evening but this is a time I was like I got to get through this because I don't want to put it down so I stay up too late. Oh thank you. I, uh, so I, I did about two days. I think it's a huge compliment. <laughs> so, so but how do you as the writer do you, do you like do 
uh, uh, postcard or um, note cards, uh, index cards uh, on on a wall, so you can follow that 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 narrative, or does it just happen? It it does not just happen. It is a lot of work. I I did everything in the course of trying to write this. For the first few drafts, uh, in my office, there's a very long, narrow corkboard that runs all the way across the room, and so I had index cards up, and they were all color coded, and then I had a string to connect them so you could see, and it kind of looked like the office of a crazy person. Um, so I tried doing that, and then after that, I would make these lists of scenes and I'd shuffle them around and then I would look at my draft and I would make an outline of what I had done and try to see if that worked together and so it took a lot of rejiggering. I had all the pieces and I just needed to figure out how to put them together. It's interesting. Um, uh, before I started reading the book I had uh, heard the, the reviews and I had read some of the reviews and, um, and it was the issues of, of race kept on, on coming up. I gotta say in reading the book I, I thought very much about like, I hadn't realized the subtleties of, of racism. I felt very much my privileged white male, like <laughs> I, because I feel like I haven't realized that because I haven't had to deal with it. Um, but in the course of dealing with the, the sexism and, and, and the racism, I still think that underneath it, there is a really compelling arresting story. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that. Um, growing up, uh, our coming-of-age novels were uh, Separate Peace by John Knowles mm -hmm. and uh, Catcher in the Rye by um, uh, Salinger, right. right? And even in the 70s, I was thinking, like, this is, like, from the 40s. It's a private school. And even as a white guy, I'm kind of like, this doesn't really, it doesn't speak to me. And in reading this, I thought, wow, this could almost be like a coming-of-age novel. This could almost be within that, that genre of, of YA, of yeah. young adult literature. So has there been any talk about the possibility of, of, because of, it, it's an adult novel, but I see this as being really relevant to kids. Yeah, I've heard from a number of high school students and actually a few um, college professors who teach freshmen mm -hmm. who've said that they've had their students read it and that um, the teenagers have really responded to it. And I was really thrilled to hear that because a big part of the story for me is not just the race and not just sort of the gender issues, but also the issues that I think that probably all teenagers and probably all teenagers throughout time have felt in trying to balance what it is that they want from life with what their parents expect of them and even trying to figure out what it is that they want from life. So I think you're right that it is very much a coming-of-age novel. It's about a young woman and also her brother and her sister trying to find themselves in this sort of haze of parental expectations. I'm going to read just the very beginning part of my novel, Everything I Never Told You. At the very beginning of the story, pretty much all you need to know is that we're in Ohio in the 1970s. Lydia is dead, but they don't know this yet. 1977, May 3rd, 6.30 in the morning. No one knows anything but this innocuous fact. Lydia is late for breakfast. As always, next to her cereal bowl, her mother has placed a sharpened pencil and Lydia's physics homework. Six problems flagged with small ticks. Driving to work, Lydia's father nudges the dial towards WXKP, Northwest Ohio's best news source, vexed by the crackles of static. On the stairs, Lydia's brother yawns, still twined in the tail end of his dream. And in her chair, in the corner of the kitchen, Lydia's sister hunches, moon-eyed, over her cornflakes sucking them to pieces one by one, waiting for Lydia to appear. It's she who says, at last, Lydia's taking a long time today. You spent part of your life in Ohio, 
and your novel is based in Ohio. Right. How has Ohio influenced your writing? I was thinking about that as I uh, came here for the Ohio Anna Festival, and I was thinking, you know, growing up in Ohio must really have shaped me into the kind of person I am. So how did how did that happen? Um, and last night at dinner, uh, we were having a dinner for some of the Ohioana authors, and we were talking about sports, and especially Cleveland sports. Uh, I grew up in Cleveland, and the, it's hard to be a Cleveland sports fan. And I was thinking that one of the things about growing up, at least in Cleveland, is that you have a little bit of an underdog mentality. You kind of root for the little guy. And you also sort of understand what it's like to have people maybe look down on you for reasons that are not actually accurate. Well, when I, uh, when I left Cleveland and I went to college, the things people said to me when they heard, oh, you're from Cleveland, is they said, oh, Cleveland rocks. Or they said, oh, didn't your river catch on fire? Or, <laughs> oh, right, yeah, the Indians, they lost in game seven. That must have been really hard for you. And I said, thank you for reminding me of that. And then, of course, you know, as time has gone on, they said, oh, LeBron left. LeBron, uh, yeah. Now he's back. So, um, so yes, you know, many things are forgiven. But that was one of the things we were talking about around the table where um, we were talking about when LeBron left Cleveland and how he wasn't entirely wrong in saying that there's a little bit of a neediness, I think from Cleveland at least, of saying, I really want you to like me. And to take away the negative side of that, I feel like Ohio is a sort of state where, you know, as with much of the Midwest, we're nice people and we want people to like us as opposed to the East Coast, which is where I live now, where people kind of don't care and they won't make eye contact. Whereas here, you know, there is a value in that and there's a value in that kind of connection. And I do think that was something that I got both from growing up in Cleveland, but also from growing up in Ohio in general. I think that is. I want people to like us. Uh, yes, exactly. We're nice. We're nice people. We're approachable. <laughs> Come on. We're from Ohio. That's right. And I think, I think actually, you know, that that is sort of a mentality that really isn't always true elsewhere in the country. Um, I, having moved out to the East Coast, I realized that people there, are, are, to speak broadly, you know, there's not this sort of always the sort of community feel that there is sometimes here. Um, it's Some par parts of it have to do with just being in a big East Coast city, but um, I think that was something of growing up in the Midwest that I just sort of learned, like, you know, you should be nice to people, and w you want people to like you, so you should try and get along with other people. <laughs> That's great. Uh, so while you were writing this, you were figuring out it was going to be a bestseller? <laughs> um, well, I'll tell you the story of how I found out that Amazon had picked it as its number one book of the year. I was at home. I was in my pajamas. I might have been in my bathrobe. I was sitting at the coffee table drinking my tea while my son was playing with his Legos and reading things on my phone, as you do while your kid is playing with Legos. And someone tweeted at me and said, congratulations on Amazon. And I said, what about Amazon? And so I was completely gobsmacked um, and incredibly, incredibly grateful. But I feel like for for any author to have your book get published and go out into the world is a huge thing. And then to have people read it and like it is an even better thing and not something that you can plan on or plan for. What, what kind of pressure does that put on for your next book? Um, 
for me, I, I think of it actually as, as really encouraging um, because a lot of the hard part about writing, I think, the writing itself is hard, but writing and not knowing if anyone will want to read what you've spent years of your life writing is really difficult. I think you sort of wonder if you should throw it all in and become a waitress. And um, for me now, I think there's a better chance that someone will want to publish the next book. And that gives me encouragement when I sit down at the desk to write. So for me, it, it's it's felt really positive. But ask me again in a year when I'm in the middle of my draft. What attributes about you do you think make you a good writer? Um, well, one is that I, I really am interested in small things. Um, my husband joked uh, when I was pregnant, there's a thing that happens to pregnant women sometimes, we become very sensitive to smell, um, and I'm kind of like that all the time. So I, you know, I tend to notice little things, and I tend to like to touch everything. My parents were always telling me when I was a kid, you don't have to touch that, it's dirty. Mm. Um, you know, I like looking at small things, and my son, I'm realizing, is the same way. We could be looking at a big picture, and he'll go, what's that? And there's an ant walking up the wall. And so for me, I've always been interested in details and senses, and I think that helps a lot with writing. Um, the other thing, I guess, is that um, I come out of a family that's very science-oriented. My mom is a chemist, my father was a physicist and worked uh, doing research at NASA in Cleveland, and my sister's an engineer, and that seems like an odd training ground for writers, but for me, I think it really increased my curiosity, and it gave me the attitude of, oh, this is weird, let me look at it some more, let me poke it and see how it works, let me try and figure out how it works. And that's sort of what I think of myself as doing in writing. As we said earlier, I'll see something that puzzles me and I'll just sit there and kind of worry at it and toy with it to try and figure out how it's working. If you ask 10 people, um, just out, out, out in the world, you'll probably find out of those 10 people, maybe three or four have a great story you know, yeah. in the background or working on something. More than that, probably. Yeah, probably. Uh, some of those probably haven't actually tried to write it down, but have an idea. So what would you say to the, the, the beginning writer or the, the struggling writer? What, what advice would you give them? I would say read a lot, read widely, try everything. If you don't like it, put it down. It's just like trying a new food. And I would say write a lot. I'd say sit down and try it. Just write, write down what it is. Um, I teach writers of all levels. I teach at a place called Grub Street in Boston, which is an independent writing center. And it's not for credit. And the great thing about that means that we get writers of all ages and from all different parts of life and at all different levels. And I love when beginning writers come into my class and say, I've never written a story, but I really want to. And I say, great, try it. Let's, let's do it. Write it down and see what happens. And that's how you learn. So that's the best writing advice I, I have. It's very blasé, but it's read a lot and then you know, try and copy what they're doing and write a lot, and that's how you get better. Well, Celestine, thank you. And now's the time of the show where we do our speed round. We have a few questions. Uh, we're looking for one or two word answers here, and uh, why don't we just move right on to it? Books or e-readers for reading? Paper books, definitely. Paper books, by the hand. Computer or longhand for writing? Computer. I need to keep up with my thoughts. Uh, are you a note taker? Do you take notes? I do. I take notes all the time, but for drafting, I always have to be typing because I can't write fast enough and I lose what I'm thinking. Uh, okay. Uh, favorite Ohio City? Cleveland. Movies or books? Books. What would be the one phrase you would tell to a younger self? I would say, hang in there. It's hard to be a teenager. <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you very much for your time, Celestine. Uh, Everything I Never Told You is available. Number one Amazon bestseller, also New York Times bestseller. Uh, it's Amazon's number one best book of the year for 2014 and New York Times bestseller. There you go. Find it, buy it for yourself, buy it for your neighbors. 
buy it just to be liked because you're in Ohio and you want to be liked, right? <laughs> Thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much.